Hi, I'm Lindsay Boomershine, brand manager of High Five Gear. H5G has thousands of designs to choose from and no hidden artwork fees. How awesome is that? Have your jersey tell your story. Order online at www.high5gear.com today. Add H5G into your wardrobe and show off your individuality. Use code ABOVE180 at checkout for $20 off any H5G style. Order today and enjoy high5gear.com. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Hi, this is Norm Duke. You're listening to Above180.com with Tim Berg. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me on the Above180.com podcast is Jeff Riggles. Jeff is the owner and operator of 11thframe.com. Make sure you check out that website for all the greatest bowling news, the latest and greatest bowling news that you'll find on the internet and, and frankly, even in print. So check that out, 11thframe.com. Jeff, thank you again for being here. For sure, Tim. Always happy to be with you. And this is, uh, this is a good one to talk about, or a tough one to talk about, I guess, is good and a lot of bad here actually but but it's definitely the news of the year it is and and of course the number one topic that affected all of us as bowlers and and frankly individuals across the world was a pandemic that hit um hit here you know it hit here probably you could say in january but really started affecting bowling and and the whole uh, country and, and more towards march and and i guess let's begin there jeff and say um, initially when the USBC and, and, you know, these decisions, all the sports decisions that were made across, uh, every sport at that time, USBC, they, they seem to be on top of things, I guess, as best as they could by delaying some things and canceling and postponing things as long as they could until we really knew more about what was really going on. Yeah, I, I, you know, obviously people who've, followed uh, 11thframe.com know that uh, I'm not afraid to voice my differences with, with <laughs> administrators like USBC and Chad when I, or PVA and, and, and Tom and Collie, if I disagree with something they're doing. So when I say that I don't think USBC could have handled this any better or much better than they did, trust me that I'm sincere in saying that because I, I am. And uh, I, I, I don't think there's any way when you look back on things and remember how much chaos there was, I think that uh, PBA handled things real well with the World Series um, and USBC all along. They did what they really needed to do. And in retrospect, if they would have tried to force some stuff to happen, um, it might have really been bad. Um, you know, I I don't think it wouldn't have been good for bowling to have tournaments where uh, the result would have been large spreads of COVID and perhaps deaths 
and hospitalizations. Um, we've lost enough bowlers just from regular bowling, Terry Leong and Galen Keese, and, uh, you know, we could go on and, uh, it, it could have been, you know, it could have been bad. And, uh, it's sad, everything that's happened this year, for sure. I mean, it's just, it's tragic. I mean, words, there just aren't enough words to, to really describe how horrifying it's all been. Um, and, and will continue to be for the bowling industry. But I just think that USBC did what it needed to do, and I have no problems with, with how cautious they've been. Yeah, and I think um, it was it was I did a, a podcast. It, it may have even been for Flow Bowling. I had recorded one where one of the players at the at the World Series there at South Point said it was just such an eerie feeling being in Vegas, and there was no one there. Like it was pretty much all yeah. cleared out at that point because that was when these travel bans were starting and people were having to, you know. Everyone was just uh, unsure what to do, but again, the name escapes me of who, which, but, but it was just such an unusual, an un-Vegas like scene. Like you remember it, and like most people remember Vegas and South Point and and everything going on, and and then um, and that leads into then the PBA decisions and the PBA. I thought did what they felt they were going to do as well by postponing and then saying, hey, we're going to restart some events, and then ultimately having to say we. We just can't restart events. It's too, um, you know, things are still spreading, and and it's not, not conducive for for us to start bowling again. Yeah, absolutely, and particularly um, USBC not holding uh, the Senior Masters, the Super Senior Classic, and PBA not having any PBA Fifty Tour events, because we all know that the older you are, uh, the the more vulnerable you are to this to this horrific disease and you know i have no problem with pba having the special events they had and bringing in you know the stars and finishing up the animal patterns and that small groups controlled circumstances no fans younger guys who are really not at much risk that none of that that's all good i mean more power to them, more of that um but to have considered at one point having you know the super senior master's super senior classic where you have hundreds of, you know, 50 and older guys or the world series of bowling for the PBA 50 tour that they were going to have in Florida in August. Oh boy. I was like, please, please don't do that. And they all got smart. They all were cautious. And I know there's lots of bowlers that wanted to bowl and were mad that they couldn't bowl, but uh, maybe some of them are alive today because they didn't do that. Um, you know, and I, I like I said, is not he's not a well-known guy, but Galen Keyes, um, senior PBA 50 player who bowled almost every tournament, knew him while he's from Nebraska, I believe. Um, nice guy, kind of gruff, but you know, friendly to everybody. Bowled every tournament, not a star by any means, and um, you know, he died from it. You know, he's an older guy, and you know, and we just had Terry Leong, who almost everyone knows, uh, and in, in you know 69, I believe he was, but in shape. You know, no no history of problems from what I know. And, and bam, it takes them, you know, old is old is bad with this disease. So um, I have no problem with, with having the, the tournaments they've had for younger folks and, you know, going ahead here in early 21 with the starting up the PBA, the way they are, even the U S open, there's only a hundred bowlers. They won't have fans that makes sense to me in controlled environment, like other sports have done. But uh, so I, I think they've, like I said, I, I, both organizations, I think, have really handled this very well. 
And then I guess the I guess the financial impact that this this will have on both the PBA and USBC regarding membership. There's a lot of people oh. that just took the year off from bowling and are, are not are sitting out. There's um, leagues that have gone from five person to four person, five person to three person. I've heard yep. places and scenarios where one team bowls on, you know, you're bowling a pair, like we talked about the Open Championships in the last podcast. You're bowling one pair. Basically, you're you're bowling one, you know, your team, one team per pair as opposed to two teams. So then you're spreading out the entire league, which in essence means less lineage for the center, which means, le- you know, so there's all different things that the USBC and PBA are both going through and dealing with on the financial side of this as well. Yeah, it's uh, the the long term impacts of this are really frightening. Um, fortunately, with the dues increase USBC got in 2016, they were able to rebuild their reserves to the point where last week they're giving money three three million bucks back to state and local associations. So they are able to withstand this hit. Um, Chad, I think, said membership's going to be down 40 percent or more for the 2020-21 season. Uh, hopefully 2021-22 will be a big rebound. I don't think it's even going to be possible to get back to where they were or even close to it because there's going to be so many bowling centers closed, either already have or will close, um, and including in some big states. Uh, and we've seen that across social media. It's inescapable, and it's hor- It's really horrible in a lot of places where, you know, I don't even know. It's I can't even wrap my arms around it and, and even consider how bad it is in some places when I see all these centers closing and what that's going to do to the industry, what that's going to do to USBC, what that's going to do to tournaments. And, you know, I, it's just so sad. And I just, I mean, I, I hate that they have those measures. I understand them where hospitals are full and all that. Um, it, it's just, it's like I've said all along, Every decision people make in this is a lose-lose. There aren't any wins in any of this. It's a lose-lose. It's open up and people get more, more people get sick and more people die. Close everything down and people lose their jobs and their businesses and get evicted and the economy takes a hit. There, there is not a right answer in any of this. There's just muddling through that and trying to find a middle ground. And the only thing I get upset about is when I – you know, the, the whole masking issue and the social distancing and bowlers that complain that my center isn't open. And then when the centers are open, then they go out there and don't follow the measures and contribute to the spread. And it's just that that's what frustrates me. If if you get the chance to open, follow the measures and help your proprietor keep, you know, help your city, allow your proprietor to stay open, help your proprietor, follow the rules, be a good customer be a good bowler. And there's just too much that isn't too many people that aren't that way. And I really, it's going to be just horrific to see once, I mean, we're going to be back to normal, hopefully somewhere in 21, but normal world isn't going to be normal when there's not, when centers are closed all over. So what, what is going to happen to these centers? Here's the big question I see going forward. You're going to go to a state like California where it's been closed other than for a couple of weeks, it's been closed since March, from what I understand. How many centers there are done? Yet they might be sitting there empty. Okay, that guy lost. He gave up his lease or whatever. He lost his business. Is somebody that has money when this is over and people want to get back to doing things, are they going to 
come in there, buy that center up and restart it. So at least, although the poor proprietor that was there before is the loser, at least the bowling industry isn't the loser and the place reopens. Or how many of these centers are just going to never be bowling centers again? And bowlers are not going to be bowling in town, like a town, say a small town that had a center and it never reopens and there is no bowling and it's 40 miles to the next center in rural parts of some state. There is the big question for the bowling industry and USBC and BPAA going forward. How much carnage will be permanent versus the sadness of people losing their businesses now, which is an individual or family thing, tragedy. The bigger tragedy is, how many of these businesses will never come open again with say someone else who invests in them to restart them. That's the long-term picture of how much the industry gets damaged. And we won't probably know that. I mean, obviously you know it if there's already been a wrecking ball in that, but if, if it's just sitting there empty right now, then there's hope that someone might reopen it. So there's hope for bowling in that community. So, you know, I think the story is as yet not completely written. Yeah. I'm curious to hit on something there that you had brought up regarding compliances and and Michigan has been one of the states where there's been some very vocal people talking about reopening the centers in some capacity. Bo Gergen, who you, you spoke with, did an article, I did a podcast with him. Was that the big concern or is that the big concern in Michigan that when they were open there for that period, then people weren't complying and the governor had to say, well, look, if you guys aren't going to comply, we're going to have to lump you back in with some of the high risk businesses and, and shut you back down is that it or was there you know I'm, I'm just curious because I haven't I hadn't heard that and I know it's purely somewhat anecdotal but I'm, I'm just curious if that was going on in some of these places and if they're just you know these bowlers are their own worst enemy in some cases um, I cannot speak to Michigan's situation particularly because I'm not familiar enough with everything that went on in a general sense I had some people message me who were involved in a couple of centers there who were so upset and bowl was not one of them um, who were so upset because they were allowed to reopen and people came back in. Obviously they were very happy to have the customers, but they were so mad because what you described happened. And this is just anecdotal. This is not a general sense. And I don't know if that was a reason in why governor Whitmer you know, reclosed things um, or reinstituted measures. I think probably it was more about how many cases there were in a general sense, not picking on bowling particularly. But I did have a couple of people who were involved in centers who were so distraught because they thought, okay, we finally get to reopen. Everyone's going to be so happy to do that. They'll be happy to comply with the measures and no, they weren't. And boom, you know, it's just, it's like, it's just a piece of cloth, you know? I mean, it's like wearing underwear or wearing a shirt or wearing pants. It's just a piece of cloth. It's not like a, like handcuffs or, you know, it's just for a few months of your life, wear this piece of cloth. You're it's not a hundred percent. It doesn't protect you necessarily. It's not a hundred percent. It's not going to stop all the spread. But if we had 50% spread by everyone wearing it or 60%, like some of the stories I've read theorize, how much, if you had half as many cases, how much better would we be and how much more open would some of these states be? That's how you got to think. The idea of wearing a piece of cloth is my rights. I just, I, that kind of thinking, I just don't get it. It's just, it's a small sacrifice to make to help. And it's, even if you're not a bowler, your bars, your restaurants, 
your theaters, your gyms, whatever, you know, we could go on forever with that. (laughs) And it's just, I have such a lesser view of Americans in general than I had before this started. The disappointment I see in us not collectively, more of us not being collectively caring for our businesses and willing to make a small sacrifice. I mean, the society we have now couldn't have won World War II the way I see it. <laughs> They're just not people willing to sacrifice enough. That is, And it's not even a big sacrifice. Just wear the thing. Hopefully it helps. You lower the spread, more businesses are open. Instead of complaining about business, you know, I, whatever. we could go on and on and Yeah, on. and I but, guess the only thing I'll say is, uh, so in Arizona, the centers have been open since, I think, about the beginning of June. And we've gone through all different sorts of mask phases in bowling centers from they had to be on all the time when you're on the approach to when you're back unless you're taking a drink or eat of something or eating to they have to be on when you're just not when you're on the approach to where they are now, which is they have to wear them when you're in the common areas outside, like going to the restroom, getting something at the bar but they're not required down on the settee areas. So I feel like they've been all different. And I feel like from what I see, the comp- compliance is, I'm going to say 100. It probably isn't quite that. But I feel like it's it's ve- it's very well complied. And there's pe- you know, com- people who are complying to the rules. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe that's why things have been okay. And, of course, that's at, uh, you know, out here there's a lot of corporate centers. So that's what what you run into the the boleros um are the ones where where I'm bowling and and it's it seems to work okay you know like I said now their hours have changed and there's been some other things you know their their staffing isn't the same as what it was pre-pandemic but hey, like you said everyone has to make sacrifices and um <laughs> and they do too as much as they're a big a big corporate company and that's one thing I think too that will change I mean people keep thinking and, and this is my opinion you know the small centers are the ones that are hurt well they are like you said and it's sad to see those stories but I think people are fooling themselves if they don't think that Bolero isn't isn't sitting in the, their office high rises or their offices and looking at their numbers and saying what they may have to do in, in making projections moving forward as well, as far as some of their centers and frankly, maybe well, some of their underperforming centers. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I wish Bolero was more of a publicly traded company. So you could get a little bigger handle on, you know, their finances and really know, because that is a huge, potentially huge vulnerability for the bowling industry. Cause that's a 300 center chain. So if they were to have a total disaster, which I have no idea, I have no information. I've tried to find out if you, you know, no one really knows. They keep that, that closely guarded. Um, and they're a private company, more power to them. They have every right to do that. Uh, but if they all of a sudden got in real trouble, it wouldn't be just, it would number one, be tons of bowling centers in, out there with a uncertain fate, but it's also the PBA, um, you know, worst case scenario, what would happen if Bolero had gone under during this pandemic? And, you know, then what happens to the PVA? I mean, they're just, they, you know, I, obviously they must have some pretty deep pockets because they've obviously had to have taken a huge hit. And hopefully those deep pockets are going to last another, you know, whatever it's going to be six more months till we get through to where things are close to normal. 
and and things will be okay. But but boy, yeah, it's. I mean, that was one of the first things I thought when things were really getting bad, um, like everything was closed down in the spring, and I thought, oh, how long is this going to go on? And what happens to Bolero and the PBA was like the first thing that snapped to my mind. And uh, fortunately, it, it appears that they're going to make it. Um, you know, they're putting money in for the players championships going to be a million bucks and you don't hear anything about, you know, a bunch of their centers closing or anything. So hopefully they, they had deep pockets and investors and private equity and all that. So things will be okay. But that was certainly a scary thing. And, you know, there's just all these, I just look at all these centers out there that I know have closed and what is going to happen. You know, there's six months from now, those might be good money makers if they're still there for somebody to invest in. But if they don't, then that's a big, that's, there's a bunch of league bowlers gone, a bunch of open bowlers gone, a bunch of people interested in the sport gone. And that's not money for tournaments. That's not money for USBC. And it's just, ah, it just makes you want to just die. Yeah. It's, um, it's something certainly, like you said, where, where we hope the best can be made out of those situations. So speaking of that, when it comes to, um, some decisions on the state level regarding USBC and, um, and and things where, where do we see things you know now with the pandemic how things are being handled and um, and and i guess even moving forward and then i guess the one thing is, is does this this pandemic i guess it, it seems to at least open people's more people's eyes to maybe not everyone having to get you know come together for a, a board meeting you know you can do a board meeting via zoom and and you might entice you know maybe some more younger people or some people who wouldn't think of being on a board because they think of the time commitment and there's still time commitment for the meetings, but there's not the time commitment. Maybe of a 45 minute drive each way to get to where the meeting is, or if they do it on zoom, they can do it from their own comfort of their home. Yeah, it's, it is an, a total ironic thing that USBC is going to have a virtual convention this year when they fought tooth and nail against Doug Sass's um, proposals to, to have uh, a component, that was virtual with electronic voting to get more delegates involved in the convention and annual meeting. I just think that's the, uh, the, just, uh, it just made me chuckle when it happened. I knew it was coming probably, you know, you had to see it zoom. The world's changed so much. That's the one biggest thing that's probably changed from the pandemic is how much, you know, remote work and remote meetings. And, you know, I haven't, I've been in the office probably a handful of times since March. There's no reason for me to ever be in there. And there's lots of companies like that that could, get rid of their offices and save the real estate costs and, and everyone's getting used to doing stuff on zoom and, you know, and we're going to have a convention on zoom in, in the spring here for USBC and, and get this stuff done remotely somehow. And then what does that mean going forward? We figure that in 2022, we could have a normal convention and annual meeting. I think that's almost probably a 99% certainty. Um, and, uh, but, does that mean that they would be open to, you know, they're going to develop a system this year to have a remote convention. So obviously they're going to have a system to do it. That means that they could easily incorporate that system into a regular convention that's in person and do it, you know, a by, by way, um, two way system. So they're not going to have an excuse that we don't have a system because if they're going to have a convention this year, that way it's going to exist. So the only you know, argument they're going to have is that they just don't want to do it that way. Or, or, you know, then the, the people who are a little more conspiracy theorists will say, well, they don't, the delegates don't want to give up the ones that go, don't want to give up the power to the, you know, the several, you know, it could be 
hundreds and hundreds more that would do it remotely. So it, that's going to be real interesting to see what 2022 looks like. And, you know, I don't know how 2021 is going to work doing this. I'm sure it's going to be pretty chaotic if there's hundreds of delegates trying to do it this way. But once they learn from this year in doing it that way, what excuse do they have not to incorporate that into 2022 and beyond and, you know, further democratize, let small associations that can't afford to send people to the convention get their people involved. It's a hard argument to tell those people, well, yeah, you can do it this year because we're doing it this way, but we're going to take that away from you and you can't do it next year. You know, that's, they're, they'll get pushback. I think if they, you know, people take part this year virtually and then told next year they can't, you know, I, I, that's going to be an interesting thing to follow. And then, Jeff, also we'd be remiss if we didn't hit collegiate bowling and how these how the pandemic has directly affected their their turn, you know, their end of last year, everything basically being canceled to things starting up now. Hopefully, cross our fingers, 2021, everything is still on for for play to begin there. So uh, it seems um, like the collegiate players and from from the ones that me and Steve Klempkin on our Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast have been talking to from the players to the coaches everyone you know they seem to be adapting as best they can a lot of them they've still been holding their practices and doing things socially distanced but it's going to be definitely a different atmosphere for those players who are so used to that you know that camaraderie and that um, you know, mm-hmm. high fives and, and just, you know, having all those people <laughs> yeah. crammed in one area. And that's all going to be going to be different, at least for, for one season. Yeah. It, oh, well, we've had collegiate bowling going on because there has been NCAA and um, NAIA type competitions. There just hasn't been USBC collegiate. Um, so there, there has been, you know, basically sort of like you can look at those that have been happening sort of as trial runs for the bigger, the Hoosier classics and that. Um, and, uh, it's just, into, you hit it, the nail on the head is how different is a collegiate competition when you're not all crowded down in there, all standing, waiting to give a guy a high five when he throws a Greek church or a washout, which as you can tell, I just, just, just drives me nuts, <laughs> but, but that's how collegiate bowling is. It's that constant interaction. It's that five fives constantly and screaming and yelling and hugging and, I mean, that's just not how the world is right now, and it's not going to be how the world is during this collegiate season, although the players at that age are relatively safe. The, the odds are hugely in their favor if they get it. We, we, we have to acknowledge that. But I, I just it's going to be weird to see how it's all handled, and I have to admit that I haven't actually taken the time to watch any extended NCA or NAI competition in any webcasts or anything. If, if there've even been any, um, caught a couple things on Facebook, that's about it. Uh, and I don't know how much you can judge from that, but when we get these bigger USBC collision things and we get to sectionals and we get to, you know, watching how that's all handled and trying to maybe rein in these, these kids, cause they're not going to be tested. Like, you know, there's isn't money out there to test college bowling teams. Like we're testing, the Wisconsin Badgers and the Ohio state Buckeyes and the Alabama Crimson Tide and basketball and football. You know, we're not, we're not going to know, well, everybody on my team is clean today. So I can high five with them and get down in the trenches with them. I don't think that's how college bowling is, is in any way going to be able to be. So I, I'm real curious to see how this is all going to play out. 
Well, I know it was interesting in one of the shows we did with uh, Billy Newman, the head coach, uh, Billy Murphy, the head coach at Newman. We had we had talked about just um, the traveling logistics, and he said, "Well, we we've traveled." Oh, yeah. He said traveling. He said they used to travel with another team, and he didn't say Wichita. I'm guessing they're kind of close, so it may have been that, may not have been, may Wichita. Wichita may have their own budget for traveling, but whoever he says we're traveling by ourselves. He says we have something. We're going in state where we can go, you know, go, come home and go, come home, you know, for the event. We're not spending our time in hotel rooms if we don't have to. He said, we're basically doing a regional type event. So I think you're going to hear more and more of, of colleges doing that, at least for this one year, just a, 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 a more regional, keep things as close that to the, you know, to their area as they can and, um, and, and playing things kind of by ear for, for this year and just going making the best out of the situation that they can, I guess, Jeff. The other thing I would like to bring up is um, is when it comes to these these uh, proprietors and some of the decisions that they are making regarding leagues, How how is that or what are you hearing as far as how that might be affecting people that are back there on the lanes? And, and let's say they are doing that where they are paying attention and, and following the guidelines, but are some people just saying, you know what, I'd rather I'd rather wait. I'd rather not even get out there and bowl given the circumstances? Sure. Well, I, based on the people I talk to, and I won't say that this is representative of the U.S. as a whole by any means. These are friends that message me and people I follow on Facebook, uh, my local area here in Wisconsin, that sort of thing. Um, I think in general, well, and Chad said it, membership's down 40% or more. So I think basically everybody I talk to, everything's about half full which in a sense is not bad because that helps you social distance. That helps you, you know, if you had a night in a 32 lane center where you had 32 teams going and you only have 16, well, Hey, you can have two teams bowl against each other um, and have an open pair to the next two teams or something, or you can have one team per pair and it makes it a lot easier to do the social distancing than not be in such close quarters. So I think in general, you're seeing about a 50% reduction just in a total general sense. And some places are doing more than that. I'm sure in some places are completely closed. So it's, it's more than that. But I know around here in Dane County, which is Madison, Wisconsin, a uh, big bowling area, a uh, lot of big centers. We had leagues that started when we didn't, Dane County has some of the toughest measures in the country. Um, uh, very, you know, UW Madison state government, very liberal town, very science oriented, very strict measures here, whether you like it or not, that's the reality. And we weren't allowed to call it league bowling. It was a bunch of competitions. Um, and you could have 10 people go and bowl on a pair from non-households. And then you had to have an open pair and 10 people on our pair and an open pair. So they were like basically mandated 50% reduction. And you had, you know, mask mandate, unless you were on the approach, uh, maximum capacity in a whole bowling center was 50, 50%. And then that got reduced to where there was no league bowling for almost, well, yeah, it was a month, almost exactly a month that just restarted again. No league bowling whatsoever. You could have open bowling if you had your household only. Like me and Susie could have gone. And if you had a husband and wife and couple, they could go. And they, they had to stick to a pair by themselves, not interact with anyone else. They could even go in the bar but they couldn't interact with anyone else. That's the rules. I know 
<laughs> we, we won't sit here and argue about how realistic the rules were. Those were the rules. So there were no leagues anywhere shut down. And we haven't had any tournaments either because you can't cross lanes um, at all. And that's been the rule all season and will be probably until next season. So that's, that's the reality here. But I think in general, that's pretty much what you've seen. And yet then you have states like Texas where basically to me, it looks like there is no COVID in Texas is the joke I use because to me, they have leagues, they have turn they were bowling tournaments every weekend. Um, they seem to be full. They're skipping lanes. It's like, eh, okay. You know, there's no COVID there, I guess. And I'm not, you know, that that's, that's, if that's how they're handling it there, then that's their, that's their state. That's their power, you know, and people can make their own decisions on whether to take part in it. But it's just fascinating to see how, you know, you go to other countries and the rule is the same everywhere in the country. From what I understand, if you go to France or England, they don't have for the most part, most places, this wide disparity we have where it's, you know, the state's rights of federalism that we have where, everything is completely shut down in California and you go across the border to another state, Arizona or over to Texas and there's hardly any rules at all. So it's, it's fascinating to see the differences. And uh, I guess maybe Texas is going to end up being the biggest bowling state when this is all said and done. Please remember to check out bowlingthismonth.com, bowling's best and most comprehensive technical resource all at your fingertips bowlingthismonth.com seeing lots of great articles lots of uh, great new pieces out there from all the companies your ball reviews down your left hand side they always do a great job with the ball review so check all those out uh, seeing lots of great articles uh, from uh, everything you're looking to do to improve your bowling game exercising mental health mental fitness uh, physical fitness everything you need all at your fingertips bowlingthismonth.com Again, bowling's best and most comprehensive technical resources. They've been with me a long time. They're a great sponsor, so please do your best to support them. Check them out. for It's just a, about a cup of coffee a month is what they charge for their subscription, but uh, lots of great content there. Again, check all that out at bowlingthismonth.com. Also, if you're looking to prepare for 2021, check out h5gbrands.com, your best place for dye supplemented jerseys. Lots of great designs, no hidden artwork fees, everything at your fingertips. They have your PBA replica jerseys, if that's what you're into. As the PBA gets going again, you can certainly get those replica jerseys, support your favorite player. If you're looking for your team jerseys as you maybe prepare for the Open Championships, great deals on those as well. Again, no hidden artwork fees. Use promo code ABOVE180. That will get you $20 off your order. Promo code ABOVE180 gets you $20 off your order. Again, everything you need at your fingertips, h5gbrands.com. Final couple things, Jeff, before we wrap up. As we head into 2021, what are you keeping your eyes on at 11thframe.com and what are some stories that bowlers should be keeping their eyes on as as we had hopefully like we've been saying over these last two podcasts as as the pandemic is is over the horizon and that's something that we're we're talking about but not it, it it's becoming less and less of a topic yeah i think um you know we have two vaccines approved now um and rolling out and when you get all the healthcare workers, frontline workers, all vaccinated that want it, and then you get um, the nursing homes are about ready to kick off. And those are where, geez, I think I've seen some figures that like 25 to 30% of all our deaths from COVID have been in nursing homes. 
Um, and you get all those people vaccinated, your um, death numbers should start dropping. Even though the case numbers might not drop, the death numbers and the hospitalization numbers should begin to decline. And that will provide, if nothing else, a large emotional boost. And it also maybe will encourage um, the uh, politicians to ease up on things. I mean, let's face it. If everyone in the world, if, if, if COVID wasn't killing, if there were just hundreds of thousands and millions of cases and there was no one being hospitalized and no one dying, we wouldn't have any measures at all. The only reason the measures exist is because we're trying to keep people from dying and keep hospitals from being overflowing. So if you can get to the most vulnerable people and that, that get the most hospitalizations and the most, most deaths and bring those numbers way down by vaccinating them and then build out from there to the more, you know, the, the next group of most vulnerable until you've knocked it down to where hardly anyone's dying, then you're going to be much more likely to ease up on these measures um, and, and more bowling centers can open and that sort of thing. So watch for the rollout of the vaccine, the logistical problems, the third vaccine from Johnson and Johnson, a February approval. If all this keeps going well, we could be looking at a spring where this thing is mostly behind us. And then we can, you know, do whatever we want to do. Relatively speaking, the open championships will go good. Um, you know, and hopefully we'll be looking to a 2021, 22 season without, you know, normal, <laughs> I guess is the word or close to normal and hopefully start rebuilding. Um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to give my money to, these people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Susie and I, the only thing we spent it on is sitting home on, you know, some craft beer and wine and, and house improvements. And you know, we're ready to support our bars, our restaurants, our casinos, our bowling centers, our tournament organizations. We're ready. So, uh, you know, watch things as they roll out. Watch if the logistics go good, watch the death numbers go down, watch the hospital numbers start dropping then hopefully we get some political measures reducing and hopefully more centers will open up in some of these states where they're just completely closed like california and hopefully we start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel getting brighter and then then the thing to watch for is how many centers survive and what happens to the ones that don't do other people reinvest and to me that's the ultimate question is all these centers that you know unfortunately people lost them What's going to happen to those buildings? Will they reopen as bowling centers? That's the thing we have to hope for long-term. Yeah, and I guess along the lines of, in my opinion, something I'm keeping an eye on, and probably you as well, just on the, from the purely bowling perspective, is the first event with the PBA where, where it's based into oh, yeah. regions. Is that going to be a new, a new type thing that the pandemic, it allows us to, to try sort of a thing that we can do now, and, and it makes sense because you're limiting the amount of bowlers in, in the center at one time. But is that something that we could see more of if things go well? And I have one right out here in my backyard, so I know I'll be there as a – I mean, I have to figure out the logistics of things of how they're working that, but definitely as a member of the media, if um, if not as a spectator, I'll be there watching that. But that's an interesting um, – interesting dynamic that they have to, to begin 2021 with. Yeah. You know, Tom Clark's legacy is the world series of bowling, which was a brilliant idea to deal with the budget cuts that he had faced back, you know, 10 years ago or so. And, um, that has lasted and turned out to be a great thing that everyone loves. 
Well, now, not a budget situation, but a medical situation dealing with the pandemic, he came up with, in my mind, in, and I'm sure Kali had input in this too and other Bolero people, but um, this whole idea of the way they're handling the Players' Championship to me, and I wrote it, wrote it that way, it's brilliant because it lets them have a legitimate tournament with effectively 480 entries plus PTQ entries, so even more if, if everyone enters, without players having to travel very far. Certainly, I don't think many getting on planes unless they're coming from overseas. And getting it out to various parts of the country and uh, fulfilling the Fox contract so we're going to have legitimate competition, tournament competition on TV for six straight weeks that should have stars on it that everyone's going to want to watch, even though it's going to be taped until the live final show, but that's okay. Um, and then we're going to have this live final show with gigantic prize money, 250K for first. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's a brilliant conception of creating legitimate competition with the lowest amount of risk to the players and fulfilling the Fox contract. So the average fan that isn't really cognizant of, of the inner workings of bowling, which is 95% of the people watching the Fox shows and they're going to think, wow, the PBA tour is going on and not really know that it's not like a real tour. Now, will this be something that they do going forward when the pandemic's over? I don't know. Maybe, but, but I would think they would want to get back to where they're going, you know, week by week and having fans and having pro-ams and cause there's going to be any fans or pro-ams I think at most of these sites. Um, and we want to get back to the day when we have a full house of pro-ams and fans are in there cheering and screaming and that sort of thing. So I, I don't think that this is going to be like the world series. And we're going to do this for, you know, 10 years going forward or forever, but, but it's, God, it's a, just a, I sat there when that release came out and I was sat there looking and going, this is so brilliant. And, you know, I, I'm not just being a cheerleader. I knock a hole in it for me, but I, no one has. I just think this is just the best conception of what they could have come up with to deal with what the world faces right now. All right. Well, on that note, Jeff, we will uh, let th- leave things go. I'll let you go. We've been uh, we between these two shows, we've spent quite a bit of time uh, dissecting the the world of bowling in twenty. No, between you know dissecting a lot, a lot happens in in bowling this year. And, you know, in, in a general year, you have a lot going on, but this year, I feel like it was even more. So. Um, so just thanks for your time again everyone please go check out 11thframe.com subscribe to the site it's um it's where you need to be if you're a bowling fan you get all your information there right there at your fingertips right there uh jeff does a great job of uh, keeping bowlers informed on uh, on the sport uh from the pba all the way uh, up to uh down to the usbc and everything in between uh does some a lot of exclusive content so uh, check jeff out there as well so jeff thanks for sitting down and doing this and uh, this might be something it'll be an annual thing that we sit down and do and and hopefully if we do it again next year around the same time, it'll be we, we'll have some optimism to look forward to in 2021, 2022, I, rather. <laughs> I, 2022, yes, I, I really think so. I think as bad as 2020 has been, and it couldn't be much worse, um, it'll be the worst life year of my lifetime, I'm sure. At least I hope so. I don't want one worse. Um, but I think 2021, by we do this again next year, there'll be a lot of, a lot of reasons to celebrate and a lot of great things to talk about. Fingers crossed, but 
I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic and confident and happy to, to spend time with you anytime you want to.